I, I, I swore I'd be honest today. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And uh, I, yeah, we, we got to do it. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's terrible. I, you know, people, you're a pastor, right? So you're like, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't, I mean, I don't usually, I don't have to worry about that that much. I've been here since 1990, so a lot of the people who go here have known me for a very long time. They know I'm not up there. They know I'm a pretty down there kind of guy, you know, working, doing my best. It's crazy, though. Have you noticed, have you noticed how difficult it is to change? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I admit it. I confess, um, I hate doing devotions with my kids, which is like the worst thing for a pastor to say. It's like, it's like you could admit to a lot of stuff, but not wanting to do devotions with your kids. But it's true. It's true. Um, and it's not my fault. It's their fault for being um, squirrely, uh, not that, fun to, that much fun to be around. Um, <laughs> okay, they're all right. But, uh, but what happens is, um, you know, it's been a long day. Uh, for those of you who have real jobs, you know what this is like. It's like you're, you're working all day, and then you're getting there, and it's nighttime, and all you want to do is just sit down and watch that next episode of Blacklist. A solid show, Dustin. Really appreciate the tip. Um, we're enjoying that a lot. Three out of five stars at least. Um, but in, in between you and Blacklist is, uh, is you know, sitting down and, and having a devotion and praying with your kids. And I confess that I know deeply that I want to change. I want to be different. I want to look forward to this. I want, because I know, I know, and people have told me, and it's true. It is true. I'm going to wake up one day and be like, man, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to that time um, when they were five and three. Um, and, and they listened to what I had to say. Um, and and they, they thought I was really great and they liked me. I wish I could go back. And yet, it doesn't seem to change every time, <laughs> every time this happens. I'm kind of like, Aaron, could you read faster? She reads the devotion book. I'm like, yeah. It's, I'd like to get two episodes in. It's a cliffhanger of a show. Uh, so, and, and if I'm starting to think um, about, you know, kind of my life, and, and, and I think all of us uh, can feel this in some way or another, we start to use these words um, to kind of describe where we're at. And, and, and we might use words, I, I see in my own heart, a stagnancy there. Um, I see uh, a kind of a stasis, like there's no change, like there's no um, life in that. And I know it should be something that is incredibly life-giving. Um, and yet I, I feel like, yeah. And that, that doesn't even begin to talk about um, the people who come here today with different, um, really, you know, dark things in life. You know, some people come in today and, you know, your marriage is awful. Let's be honest, it's terrible. Um, and, and you know, you know that... Um, there is a possibility that it could be better, and, and you imagine what that might be like. You might imagine um, what it would look like to make changes, but um, it just doesn't happen. It just, there's, there's a stagnancy. Um, there is a, um, a powerlessness, a uselessness that you feel sometimes. Um, there's even, if you were to describe it, there's loss, there's destruction in your life. And, it, you know, marriage, it, all kinds of things that people come, dark things that people bring um, into, into church with them. You know, uh, I mean, addictions to things like, you know, pornography, social media, which I think is almost as bad. Um, did you know, this is a true fact, uh, that they did, some scientists did uh, some MR, MR, uh, fMRI research on people who were um, going through, fa- I'm old enough to remember when Facebook had a bottom to the page. You could like scroll and then you would reach the bottom and that would be it. There's no more Facebook. 
Not so anymore. It, I don't know if you say, who invented the flip screen? Like, what a demon. Goodness gracious. You just keep going, and it never ends. And, and you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, um, uh, I just need to keep going and find out my self-worth. I'll find it here somewhere. If I get there, I know that I'm a good person. If I can just, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm miserable. Wow. Interesting. Um, they, the exact same thing goes on in your brain when you're flipping through Instagram. That um, happens in a, a, a gambler um, when they're pulling a slot machine. This is, this is a true fact. They've done this. Um, because what happens when you're pulling a slot machine is you're like, oh, oh, I hope there's something good. And then you get like a little win. You're like, oh, boy. The same thing happens when you're flipping through and you're, oh, look at that video. Yippee. And then you, you're like, oh, my life is meaningless. Oh, I have no hope. Oh, he's so cute. That's what happens. Literally. It's the same thing. It's you're, you're addicted to gambling. Just if you didn't know. It's a true fact. I'm not making that up. I'm just saying. And you come, and, and, and you're coming here, and you're like, I know that I shouldn't be bound up in this. I know that this shouldn't be everything to me, and yet it is. And then um, I'm old enough also to remember when Orange County uh, was different. <laughs> Had oranges, right? Yeah, I do. And there were like lions in Irvine. <laughs> it was like a safari out there in the 80s. Wow. Um, if I were to describe uh, the change in the last 30 years in Orange County... I'd say, well, um, yeah, it's gotten a lot richer. But I would describe it as decay. I would say that the culture has become impoverished. I would say there's been destruction of life that used to be robust. I've seen communities fall apart and and decay. I've seen great loss in this culture. Even though there are more uh, Mercedes-Benzes and Lexuses than there used to be, there also seems to be a lot more alienation. And loneliness. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with us? I think today, um, as we we consider um, leading up to to Jesus' death and resurrection, and then we think through that, I think we're going to get a sense of what's wrong. And also, what we can do. How we can change that, that it's, it doesn't have to be this way. It can actually change. It can actually be different. Um, those words I kept using, decay, uselessness, powerlessness, stasis, stagnancy, destruction, loss. In the New Testament, there's uh, one word that, that covers all of them. And that word is death. I want to look at uh, what death is um, in the New Testament. Because it's not just the end of life. It's a power that rules us. See, we think death. We're like, oh, death, that's when um, the blood stops flowing. We actually understand this pretty well. The scientists, they figured it out. Uh, the, the blood goes and it takes um, oxygen from our lungs uh, to all the parts of our body and it ultimately, probably most importantly, to the brain. And it keeps things going. And so when we think of death, we think of when all that stops. When that ceases, and then experience ends, consciousness ends, and suddenly we're in the grave, nothing happens, whatever it is you think uh, goes on after you die. But that's the end, right? That's it. That's what death is. And that's why Christians get so pumped about Easter, right? It's like, aha! There's an out! (laughs) We're good! There's There's some hope there. And that is true, that is true. But that's not what death is. You see, that's, that's like the, the, the exclamation point at the end of death's sentence. Death actually is not just the end of life and end of experience. 
It is a power that rules you. Look at um, the New Testament. Look at, listen to some of these uh, texts that talk about death. Um, a lot of them from Paul. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Forget all the, all the other stuff that's going on. Death reigned. Death ruled. Death exerted power. Death was in charge of life. Paul's talking about um, the, the, the kind of the, the history of the human race, and he's saying, he's saying all the way up to Moses, and then he'll go on to say, even, even afterwards, death is in charge. Uh, another place in Romans. Has then what is good become death to me? He's talking about the law here. Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. Producing death in me. There is no way that what Paul is talking about is clinical biological cessation of life. What he's talking about is a power, a force, something that rules, that has its thumb on him. Something that he can't get away from. He's saying uh, the law was good, um, and he's talking about the Jewish law, the, the, the Torah it's sometimes called. He, he's talking about that, how it, uh, it's a good thing, but as he saw all the places where he was making mistakes, and more and more death rose up in him. Here's a, a different author from the New Testament, John. We, we've been in 1 John. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Abides a little bit uh, archaic English there, a new King James. Uh, Meno is something like remain or lives in or, or continues to have influence. Um, the one who doesn't love his brother continues to live in death. He's a state of being. And it owns you. This last one, probably the most important. Then comes the end. This is uh, Paul again. When he, when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. All these enemies that used to have power, that used to rule, that used to have authority, who used to control things and influence things, he's going to put them all under his feet. And the last one, the last of those powers, the last authority, the last rule is death. If I were uh, translating this, um, I would put a capital D on the word death. Because we're not just talking about your pulse going flat. We are talking about an invisible force that rules and owns human life in the world. Where does it come from? Well, death, uh, it doesn't come from stopping breathing. Uh, death actually um, comes through, through a door. This is uh, the next thing in, in your, your note sheets. Death enters through the door that we open through sin. Um, I have a, a life pro tip. Um, when, you, uh, when you open the door to somebody, this is what I do. I take, um, I have a little clove of garlic next to the door, and I, and I rub, rub it on my hand, garlic, like this. And then when I open the door, I shake the person's hand. If the person goes like that and has like long fangs, I don't let them in. Uh, because, as you know, vampires can... I read a lot of vampire fiction. I don't know if you're familiar with the genre. So I probably know more about vampires than you do, helping you out. Um, you, they can't come in and eat you and suck your blood unless you invite them in. A vampire cannot cross the threshold of your home uh, until you say, come on in. Which is why you do the garlic thing, just check, a little test. And, and if people pass, you say, oh yeah, come on in. No, no chance you're going to suck my blood, turn me into an eternal servant of the dark. Good, good, good deal. You can come on in. 
Uh, sin and death is actually the same way. Uh, death is very much like a vampire. It doesn't just, it can't just control things. It doesn't just rule. It actually rules because we've invited it in. We've said yes to death because we've allowed sin in. Uh, this is um, another text here about uh, how that works. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spreads all men because all sinned. Sounds like a cancer. It spread, metastasized, seized all humanity. Who was that man? Well, uh, the, the first man was, was Adam. And if you know the, the Genesis story, he um, made some big mistakes and, and a curse happened. Uh, the next thing on your note sheets is, is about that curse. The curse of this world is really a regime ruled by death. When, we think of a regime, when I think of a regime, I think of Saddam Hussein, um, the, uh, the dictator who ran Iraq. Um, and we, we use the word regime to talk about totalitarian rule. You know, I think he was actually a pretty good politician. He got something like 98% of the vote every time the people of Iraq voted, which is really impressive because, um, you know, Trump and these guys, they run around 48%. So Saddam had a really good thing going. Oh, wait, that's because there was no democracy in Iraq. He, run, he ran everything. He, he took control of, of everyone's lives. He had absolute power, right? And so his, his power, his rule was called a regime. Similarly, similarly, death has a regime. Um, when we read about the, the curse, it's, it's so interesting. Um, think, think about this. Think about these words, you know, powerlessness, uselessness, destruction, decay, stagnancy. And then listen um, to the, the, the curse that's placed on Adam. To the man, he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and you ate from the tree that I commanded, don't eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, You'll eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you even as you eat the field's plants. By the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread until you return to the fertile land since from it you were taken. You are dust, and to the dust you will go back. Notice that, you know, God doesn't do this to Adam. He doesn't say, I am making this happen to you. He's saying, this is what's happening, right? There's, there's something that's going on in the world because you chose... You chose wrongly. You decided not to do what I said. And so as a result, look at all this death that's going through things. What happens when there's futility and decay and stagnancy, when you're trying to till the ground, when you're trying to plow the fields? Well, it's really hard. And there's no guarantee that it's going to work because the ground itself does not produce like it ought to, like it should. And so as a result, you know, th uh, thorns and, and, and thistles come up where you're hoping for wheat and you cut your hands on them, they're choking out the life from the ground. Everything that you expect and put your heart, your back into to, to make it work and to make it grow and flourish and thrive is ground down because the world is not the way it's supposed to be because death, a principle, a force, is ruling this world and it is owning this world and it's squeezing the life right out of everything. If you look at that text, you can see what it looks like when death takes the ground and it takes our lives and it takes everything, all of our projects, everything. It's all run by death. And if you're with me so far, you know that what's needed is a regime change. And the good news of Easter the good news, our hope, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
brings about a regime change. You know, death, death is, is owning everything. Death is like, uh, like I said, Saddam, right? And Jesus is sort of like Operation Iraqi Freedom. Ugh, don't love that analogy. I feel like not everything in Iraq is great after what happened there. But you can sort of see what I'm saying. Uh, there's death owning everything. And here it comes Jesus walking in. And death says, I'm going to unload all my guns on you, all my tanks, all my bombs, all my violence, everything that I can, all the destruction, the decay, the stagnancy, the loss, the, the, the violence, everything. I'm going to throw it all onto you. And in, in fact, I'm going to go all the way until not only am I sending all my forces against you to stop you as you preach the good news of the kingdom, I'm going to throw the last big thing on you. I'm going to actually end your life. I'm going to stop your pulse because nobody can beat that. And then I will maintain my rule over this world in perpetuity and all will be my slaves forever. And then the third day, when death itself was overcome in life, when the pulse came back, when all the power of this enemy to destroy and stagnate, to violate, to make useless and powerless, is overcome in the Spirit of God who raises Jesus from death. From death, And in that moment, we, for the first time, have a new leader, a new chief, a new boss. For the first time, it's not death who runs the show, but now it's Christ who reigns, who has power. Listen to this. For since by man de- came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. The, the rule of death is fractured and it's ended. That doesn't mean, by the way, that everyone's going to enjoy being made alive again. It just means that everyone has access to life again. The resurrection of the dead. It, you notice it's not that Jesus came and stopped death. He overcame death. He went through death. He absorbed death into himself and came out the other side, glorified, victorious, alive. And it offers that to all and sundry, whomever desires it, simply by believing in him, you can change the old boss, death and sin, and you can receive the new boss, the Lord Jesus Christ, and live the life you were called to live, not just now, but throughout eternity. For if by the one man's offense death ruled through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will rule in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You see that before today, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but before today you came in and, and maybe you thought you were ruled by, I don't know, yourself. Maybe you thought you were ruled by whatever. But the truth was, the truth was death owned you. And then, once you believe, suddenly that changes because of an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. God showers grace and says, grace, uh, blessing, favor, mercy that you you don't deserve. God showers that down on any who believes in his son. The gift of righteousness. Righteousness is kind of a shorthand um, in Paul for saying something like a member of the family of God. You, You get to be God's child You know, your daddy used to be death and sin. And now your father is the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
who is known in Christ Jesus, who's victorious over death, and who is just dying, literally just dying, to shower grace on you. And when you have that, you will live in power in this life. You will rule in this life. But wait. Okay, so, all right. Let's just say it's all true. Say that death has been defeated. Say that, that Jesus has come through the grave. He's resurrected. He's alive. And now he's pouring down his grace. He's given us the gift of righteousness. Why is it, then why are we still stuck? Why are we still living as though death rules, as though death reigns? Why are we still living in that? Why is it that we can't seem to change? Shouldn't it be the easiest thing in the world? Shouldn't it be so simple to just do a 180? Because, man, it was awful when stagnancy, destruction, violence, powerlessness, and uselessness ruled all things. Isn't it much better now to live with the one Jesus Christ, to, to make those changes, those desperate things in our lives that we are just dying to have shifted? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the world? Why is it that this place seems to decay and fall apart? The, the, the ruler, death, has been defeated. Why are we still entangled What is wrong with us? When I was a kid, um, I really liked that uh, there was a movie version, also a musical. A lot of musical fans here. Uh, yeah, Broadway. Uh, I know, a lot of fun, real popular with the people these days. Um, my, my father forced me to memorize um, multiple shows that were on Broadway. Uh, so I, I know um, The Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, um, those are the big ones. A lot of Stephen Sundime, I'm real familiar with all of that. Uh, it almost, it made me, um, I, I went through a strong rebellion phase where I was like, this is terrible, I like rock and roll. But honestly, I kind of still enjoy it. I like it, you know, people getting up, dancing, and singing. It's really fun. Uh, Okay, it's terrible. Yeah, it's hard to understand Broadway. But anyway, uh, one of, there was a musical, The Secret Garden. You guys know this story? The Secret Garden? Mary Lennox. Uh, Mary Lennox um, in the story is, it was a children's book and then a movie and then a musical and another movie. She, um, she was born in India um, to colonial parents. Her parents were Brits who were colonists in India. And uh, when she's a little girl, like eight or nine, something like that, um, her parents die in a plague And so she's, um, she's sent uh, back to England to go live with, I think it's her mother's sister's husband, right? Her mother's sister is dead too. A lot of death. Yeah. Uh, it was a long time ago. A lot of people died. Um, so she's with her, her mother's sister's uh, husband, Archibald, her, uh, her, her uncle. And she comes, he has this huge manor this, uh, in the English countryside. He's got all kinds of land. Um, but it's England, so it's depressing and gloomy the entire time. And she comes there and she realizes this is a place where the sun never shines. There's all this stuff, and yet the, the, there's a, a, a cloud over the manor. There's, um, the people there are dour. There's, there's no happiness. No one lights candles or has fires in the fireplace. And little Mary is, is confused as to why. And she, at night, she hears a moaning. And she, she comes to find out that her uncle has a son, Colin. And Colin's a cripple. He has a, a hunchback, and he can't walk. He's confined to his bed. And all night, he wails and cries with pain because his legs have atrophied, and he's not allowed to go outside. Mary finds um, hidden 
in a, in a maze of hedgerows on the grounds, a garden. And she walks into this garden and it too is dead. There's bark and, and thistles and thorns. There's weeds. But she has a dream. What would happen if we turned this thing upside down? What would happen if this garden had a resurrection? And so she begins to, to, to fix it up, to, to you know, she has a friend who comes along and they, they wipe away all the weeds and they begin to plant and water. They begin to try and bring life back to this garden. And, and she meets Colin, the, the, the crippled son of her uncle, and, and she explains to him about this place. And she says, you should come outside. You should get out of here and try. And what happens? His uncle says, no, stay inside. I don't want you to go out there because it might kill you. I know you can't walk. I know you're crippled and you're in pain, but the last thing I want is for you to go out there to take that risk and then you could end up dead. You see, resurrection, friends, is a risk. Resurrection isn't something that comes natural to us. Well, Colin, he disobeys his dad because that's what boys do. And he goes outside and he begins, first he he just enjoys the sunlight. He just enjoys it for the first time. And then he, he gets out of his wheelchair and he begins helping to plant and water. And as he does, his, his, his strength starts to come back. He begins uh, to walk uh, for the first time in his life. His back straightens. He, he becomes the young man his father had always dreamed he would be. Why? Because he risked a resurrection. Because he risked going to the garden and seeing what could happen if he tried something new. Why are we stuck? Why don't we change? It's because we can't, because God's not real, because we don't have the same power that, ro- that raised Jesus from the grave. Is that it? Or is it that resurrection's really scary? The cool thing about dead stuff, totally predictable. You're never going to be surprised by something dead. Uh, it, it's just going to keep laying there. Um, well, I guess it'll start to decay and putrefy, but... Again, expected. Nothing surprising there. Once you've got the magnifying glass out and you light that ant on fire, there's, I mean, it's a done deal. You know what, it's not, there's no surprises there. That's, that's, that's fine. It's finished. Don't do that. That's, that's uh, I mean, within reason. If you go too far, then you're in danger of becoming a sociopath. So just, kids, keep it easy. Sam, okay? Talking to you. All right, great. Um, death doesn't, death, death, death is not surprising. It's familiar. In fact, it's almost comfortable, right? Think about um, the patterns of our lives, right? Yeah, the marriage is terrible. Yeah, we don't talk. Yeah, things are bad. But it works. I mean, do you really want to mess with that? Because here's the danger. Here's the danger. If you start to poke at this thing, you start to mess with this thing, There's danger. Because suddenly you don't have control over what happens. Suddenly you're like, okay, well, uh, this thing that was utterly predictable, not good, in fact, pretty awful, but, but still at least, you know, within the realm of expectations and not surprising. Suddenly this thing is out of your hands. Suddenly this thing might do something you can't possibly imagine. And you don't have control over it anymore. This, uh, you know, the, the cycles of addiction that you have, I mean, like, 
I mean, really, is there anything less, uh, less surprising than, than Instagram? Nope, nope, still miserable, still miserable. Oh, I feel slightly good. Miserable, miserable, miserable. Oh, a little bit better, miserable. I mean, come on, it's, it's, it is, there is absolutely no question about what you're going to get out of your social media. There's no question about what you're going to get out of your pornography. There's no question about what you're going to get about all of these cycles that you have in your life that you know are destroying you, your selfishness. You know exactly what death is going to do. And it's awful, but man, so much better than a risk. So much better than something you can't control. Resurrection is a risk. And on Easter Sunday, brothers and sisters, it is time to take a risk. When Jesus um, rises from the grave, What's the response? Like, yay! No, it's like, ah, who are you? What's wrong with you? Let me touch that. Are you a ghost? It's funny. I mean, you read the, read the Gospels, and one of the interesting things about them is how realistic the responses of people are to the risen Lord. They're like, no, this, this is outside, my, uh, this is outside my, my, my ken. I can't, I don't know what to do with this. this my category, this doesn't fit, and I don't know what to do with it, and I'm lost, and I'm a little bit scared, a little bit confused. What am I supposed to do with this? Similarly, when when we ask for a resurrection in our lives, when we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to start to expose these dark things. I'm going to start to name them. I'm going to start to bring them into the light. I'm going to start to share them. I'm going to start to ask you to do things with them. When you start to do those things, yeah, you're going to be scared. Because what happens is going to be a little bit outside of your categories, a little bit beyond what you're used to. But like the resurrection of our Lord, when God is behind it, it is good. And it will be good. God is in the business of raising the dead to life. He is in the business of taking those things in our lives that are dead and making them alive again. If only we will have the willingness to try. thought a lot um, in the past year about this, this church. This church that I love uh, more than any place I've ever been in my life. I've been in a lot of houses. I've lived in a lot of places. This is my home. And one of the things that I've begun to think about is, this is a possibility, is there a place where our church has a little bit of death? Is there a little bit of powerlessness and uselessness and decay and stagnancy in this community? And I I started to think, like, when was the last time someone came to faith in this church? When someone realized for the first time that Jesus is alive and everything is changed, that the power of sin and death does not own me anymore. When was the last time that happened? I started to think about, you know, begging for baptisms. I had to supply my own baptizee. We're having a baptism because Alice was like, Daddy, I want to get baptized. She thinks it looks fun. Like, she thinks she's going to go swimming. We're going to have to work on that. Um, I keep, I'm like, honey, you know what this is about, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, good, we'll make sure. 
I'm recruiting. I'm active. So, and the only way I can get people to baptize is to have children. Is that really? I mean, is that? I'm wondering. Wouldn't it be cool? And this, I'm just spitballing here, just throwing it out. What if we were impacting people such that they were a part of our community? being loved by us and loving us and saying, you know what? This Jesus is real. He is alive and I want to share with everyone that he has saved me. I want everyone to know that he is Jesus in my life, that he is Lord in my life. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be amazing if we started to have some of that resurrection life here. And what I'm wondering, what I'm wondering is maybe, maybe we're a little bit scared of that. Maybe we're a little bit scared of what it would look like for us to be reaching out. Because here's the thing, we would start, we'd start losing control of all of the things we really love about this place, right? It might be a little scary to, to, to change things up, to do it differently, not to do the same things over and over again. It would be different for us to stop thinking about how this place is, is so warm and cuddly for me and could become inviting and life-giving to others. This is tough for me because, um, you know, I, like I, I, I was not looking to get into the pastor game. That wasn't my jam. People are like, well, you, you seem to really like it. And it's true, I do. I love being a pastor. And they're like, well, you know, what about other... I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's only one place I would enjoy being a pastor, and that's this place. Because I like the people here. These people are awesome. If we started inviting people in, I mean, uh uh-oh. Oh, no, they're strangers. Ah, What are we going to do? What if we don't like them? I admit, we're, I'm a, oh, no. Things could change. Things could be different. Uh Uh-oh, oh, oh, no, we don't want that. Because it might, we might not have control over it. We might, God might be unleashing his life and his desires and his power, and it wouldn't be ours anymore. Oh, no, that really worries me. Now, I, I might sound a little sarcastic there, and I am being a little bit, but I'm also being brutally honest. I love this place, and I never, ever, ever want to see it change, and it will not change on my watch in the sense that we are a place that is Bible, grace, and family. We will always be Bible, grace, and family. We will never stop being Bible, grace, and family, but at the same time, I, st- I believe that we're, it's time for the next 50 years, friends. 50th anniversary is coming up. It's the next 50 years. What is it going to look like to spread the life of Jesus Christ to a new generation, a new place? This culture, they still think that death owns them. They are still owned by death out there. And we have the solution right here. We have life, an empty tomb, a gospel, good news of the kingdom. And we're like, ah, no, anything but letting them know about it. Are, are we for real? Are we, we're, in, we're crazy, What could be better? What could be more life-giving than for us to open up and say, we have power. The death, death does not win. The grave is empty. It doesn't, your, your life can be different. Hope is real. Life is real. How good would it be to share that? How good would it be to see people come and say, I can't believe what's happened in my life. Dunk me. Dunk me, Pastor Tom. I'm desperate for people to come. Dunk me. No, no, not that kind of dunk. Yeah, not, definitely not able to get up the 10-foot rim. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I understand the resurrection is a risk. It's scary 
to let go. It's scary to stop having ownership over all the stuff in our lives. It's scary to let those dead things no longer lie. But I also believe that it's good, that it is power, that it is a living witness and testimony that Jesus Christ is alive. And if we are going to do anything with our lives and with our community, surely, surely it must be to share that news, to open those doors, to come and call all and sundry to be disciples. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's time to risk a resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, um, we thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you that simply by faith in him we transfer from death to life. That we throw off the old regime of death and embrace the new regime of Christ. His grace and his gift of righteousness. God, I pray that any who are here today who need to make that transfer, God, that they will. They will simply say, Lord, you're the Lord. I want to trust you for life because you're the one who gives it, and I am tired of living under death. And God, I pray for every person here that we will all look down deep and find the dead places in life. The dead addictions, the the dead relationships, the dead habits. And God, I ask for your spirit to come and help us risk a resurrection. God, in this place and in this church, as we look forward to 50 years of ministry, I pray that we will risk a resurrection, that we will open our arms and invite Orange County in to come and have new life, to begin following you, to throw off the regime of death and embrace the regime of Christ. All this we set before you in, the, in his name. Amen.